Uh, years ago, Yvonne and I were uh, in, in Nebraska, and we were at a really good church. We really liked it there. I was the youth pastor there. And then our family went through a unique uh, situation and um, a unique season. And as a result of that, we, even though we loved the church and they were good to us, we felt like we needed to do something different. So we kind of felt like God was calling us to plant a new church. And not just another church. There's lots of churches. But we wanted to try to do something very, very different. We wanted to have church for people who didn't go to church. Now, somebody might say, well, you're talking about secret sensitivity type churches. No, we're not secret driven. It wasn't that at all. We wanted to develop relationships. And in the context of those relationships, people would come to know Christ. And so we uh, got permission to plant a church in the same, church, uh, same city that we were already in. And um, we launched the church. And just a few months into our new ministry, we had our first baptism service. And we're, I'm greeting people out front, and we're getting ready for that service. And um, this couple comes in, and it's clear that, that this is our first time there. And then it became clear to me that they weren't there really to see the church. They weren't visiting the church. They weren't interested in that at all. Uh, the situation was simply this. They were invited to come by one of the people who was being baptized. And she was a local recovery counselor for a nonprofit organization. And she worked with people who had addictions. And one of her clients, one of her patients had done really well, made some steps. And his name was Mike. And he was going to be baptized that morning. And he said, would you please come? And she was so excited about some of the things that was happening in his life. She came to support him. Now, unbeknownst to me, just days prior to that weekend, she tells her boyfriend that he would be going to church with her. And he responded, absolutely not. Ain't happening. No way, not a chance. Come Sunday morning, he was there with a tie. Anyone got a wife like that? <laughs> Can I have a witness? Um, some of you are just taking the fifth. I get that. But we had several baptisms that Sunday, and there were some incredible testimonies and stories. And for our first baptism service, it was quite special. And that couple went home, and unbeknownst to us, they were absolutely intrigued. In fact, they didn't know what to think about it. They'd never seen anything about it. And what really intrigued them was the baptism piece. But also the thing that really captivated them, captivated them was the stories. Well, they came back the next week, and then the following week, and then the following week. And one Sunday after church, the guy, the boyfriend, comes up to me, and he, he says, um, Greg, you know, we've been coming for a few weeks, um, and I, I worked a graveyard shift, and I've done that seven, and I, was, I know you're busy, and, and we're new and stuff, but I was wondering if sometime you might do coffee with me after work, when I, after I get off. Would you be able to do that? And I said, yeah, how about tomorrow morning? And um, we got together, went to, one of my, went to one of my favorite places of worship, Starbucks. And we ordered coffee. We got some warm blueberry scones. And we sat down. We traded a little bit of shop and talked a little bit about backgrounds and where he came from. And then we're, he's kind of in the middle of a sentence and he stops. And he looks at me and he says this. Greg, here's the deal. I didn't grow up in the church, not at all. A funeral here, a wedding there, in and out, that was all. That was my church experience. I'm not a church person. I don't know why I'm here. But he said, I, I got to tell you, and he's in his, his 40s at the time, 
He goes, I, I just don't know much about religion, but the thing that's just really puzzling me is this, this Jesus guy. Could you tell me and help me understand this Jesus guy? And for the next 20 minutes or so, I shared the gospel message with, with my friend, my new friend, Ronnie. And I told him, I said, there's four truths in the Bible, and if you can get those truths, it's going to help you out, I think. Understand this Jesus guy. And those four truths are the truth about man, the truth about God, the truth about Jesus, and the truth about faith. And I said, first of all, we have to understand the truth about faith. I said, Ronnie, the Bible tells us we're all sinners. And he goes, well, I get that. Well, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I said, I said to him, I said, sin includes more than just uh, robbery and murder. It's much more than that. Sin is anything that we say, do, or think, or don't do that displeases God, that goes against the character of God, that flies in the face of the Ten Commandments. And I said, the thing that you need to really understand is how sin impacts us. What it does is simply this. It creates a barrier between us and God. It separates us from God. And because of sin and because we're flawed, we cannot fix ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. I said, Ronnie, if you, there's people that did this. I thought this for a long time too, that if maybe I could just do more good than bad, the, the good would outweigh the bad and I would get to go to heaven. But it doesn't work that way. In fact, Jesus has set the bar much higher. In fact, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says this, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect which means the bar is so high and we are so far from it. And even if we try to do more good and bad, we are simply doomed. You can't fix yourself. You can't change. You're stuck. And the Bible adds to that, that the wages of sin is death. And he goes like, like physical death. And I said, well, that's part of it, but it's a different type of death. It's a death that means you are eternally separated from God because of your sin. And I said, that's not good news. That's bad news, bad news, and worse news when it comes to the truth about man. But I said, the second truth doesn't make it much easier. And it's the truth about God. And I said, there's two things we need to understand about God. Number one, that God loves us. He loves us. Jeremiah 31.3, God flat out says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. First John 4.8, Point Blake says, God is love. And I said, we, we know that, and I'm sure you've heard that. You've seen maybe bumper stickers and maybe buttons and maybe heard a song or two along those lines. And it's true that God loves us. But there's this other part of God's character, like, like a coin has a heads and has a tails. There are two sides to God. And on that top side, it's that he loves us, and he doesn't want to punish us. But the second side is difficult because he's just and honest and therefore, he must punish us because we have sinned. Exodus 34, 7 says, God will by no means clear the guilty. And I said, that, that means not just that God's not, you know, he, he doesn't wink at our sin. He doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin. He's offended by our sin. And that's why this chasm exists. And that death penalty means that we are eternally separated from God. I said, you know, God solved that problem in the most amazing way through the third truth, the truth about Jesus. And I said, you need to know two things about Jesus. First of all, who he was and what he did. 
First, who he was, and, and I actually shared this with them, and it'll be on the screen, because there's the, what we call the written word, and then there's Jesus, who's the living word. And I said, listen to what this, this first verse from John 1, and then 14th verse says. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and lived for a while among us. And we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who, come, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I said, you know, we celebrate a holiday because Jesus came into our world. We call it Christmas. And in the Christmas narrative, it adds to the power of that passage in John 1. It says this, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, Jesus, and they will call him Emmanuel because he is God with us. I said, I don't know how this works, Ronnie, but Jesus was the infinite God-man. He was both fully God and fully man. I don't know how that works. But he was God in the flesh. One theologian said it this way, that Jesus is skin on the face of God. And Jesus came to the earth not only to live a sinless life, but he came on earth for a purpose. What did he do? He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he rose from the grave. And he purchased a, place, uh, purchased a place for us, not only with the family of God, but in heaven one day. And I says, by the way, when Jesus went to the cross and was buried and rose again, there's a, hol a holiday that celebrates that. We call it Easter. And the Bible says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. And what Jesus did is he took our sin in his body on the cross and he offers us life, both here and eternal. And I said, that's the truth about man. That's the truth about God. That's the truth about Jesus. And you can know all three of those, Ronnie, and still miss going to heaven because we need the fourth truth and it's pivotal. And it's called faith, the truth about faith. And I said, there's three types of faith, but only one saves you. The first two just won't do. The first one is what we call intellectual faith. We might call it also head knowledge. Did you know it's possible to know somebody and not know them at all? If Joe Biden walked in here, you would know that he was president. You could even say, yo, Joe, well, you know, you could shake hands with him. But I'm going to guess in this room, not one person, not one person is going to have Joe call them by name. It's possible to know someone and not know them at all. I've had people tell me, well, it, I believe in God. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. Because it's possible to know someone and not know them at all. James 2.19 says that the demons tremble for fear of God. They're never going to be in God's presence. They're never going to be a, in heaven. They're always going to be separated from him. It's more than head knowledge. The second faith is called temporal faith. We all exercise temporal faith. You ever done that? You're between a rock and a hard place. You're facing a crisis, and all of a sudden, you're a praying animal. Man, you're praying, praying, praying. Oh, Lord, if you'll just help me get that and take care of this situation, I will become a nun. And um, I'm right there. And that's called temporal faith. And one person called it flat tire faith, and that is we only get the flat tire when we're in trouble and have a flat. And temporal faith won't save you. But there is a third type of faith, and it's called a saving faith. A saving faith is trusting in Jesus alone, 
for eternal life, both now and forever. Faith means trusting in what Jesus has done rather than what you have done. I said it works like this. I said, let's say that this little Bible uh, is a book of my sin. And I'll tell you, all, in all honesty, if this was a book of my sin, this would be one of several volumes. If every page in this Bible here represented a sin, I would have three years of sin if I only sinned once a day. And I said, what happens is it's simply this. We're down here and we're loaded with sin and we can't reach God. And our sin, even if we were up right next to God, would keep us separated. There'd be something between us and God. I said, have you ever had a fallout with a friend? And all of a sudden you stop talking to each other and there's this space because it hasn't been reconciled. And I said, that's what sin does. It creates a, creates a barrier. It breaks fellowship. But God solved that in the most amazing way. When he came in the person of Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and it works like this. This sin that's held us down is taken from us with an act of faith so that now we are free to have fellowship with God. And that's how it works, Ronnie. And the Bible says in Acts 16, 31, believe, trust in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And so I asked Ronnie. We're just having this great dialogue. I said, Ronnie, Ronnie, does that make sense to you? And Ronnie looks at me, tears in his eyes, and he said, that makes absolute per uh, perfect sense to me. I smiled, and I said, Ronnie, is there any reason why you wouldn't place your faith and trust in Christ right now, and he said yes, which was a weird response. So I said, yes, you want to receive Christ here and now, or yes, that there is something that is there, and because of that, you cannot place your faith and trust in Christ right now. And he said, yes, I cannot trust Christ right now. And I laughed because it was just, it was just I was cough guard. And I said, well, why not? Why, why not? And he says to me this. He goes, because I have trust issues. Well, unpack that for me. And he says to me, he says, you know, Greg, um, I had this great family. My dad, my mom, me and my sister. And my dad and I were really tight play ball together, toss the football, the baseball, go to a game here and there, go to a movie. We just hung out. And my dad told me, my dad told me that he would always be there for me, Greg. And one day I came home and he was leaving and he had a suitcase. I said, where are you going? And he said, I just need a change. Sorry, son. He said, I haven't seen my dad since. My mom was so devastated and so distraught and so lost in her, her, her pain and so alone that she, did, she didn't know what to do. And so what she started to do is she started to, to, to look for a new man. And we had this revolving door of men in and out of our house. Mom trying to fill that hole in her heart. And she was so busy working and dating that she had no time for me. She bailed on me. My dad bailed on me. My sister didn't bail on me, but she absolutely disappeared and still lost in her journey. I went on to high school, then to college, and I met this girl from my, my dreams, and we just hit it off, and we got married, and it was going so well. 
And one day I came home and she was packing up her suitcase. And I said, where are you going? And she said, you know, I just, I just don't like this marriage thing. Good luck to you. And he said, Greg, I got, I got lots of those stories. And then he said this. How, I got trust issues. How do I know that Jesus won't bail on me too? And I remember just pausing for a second. I said, I, I get that. That makes sense to me, Ronnie. I'm really, really sorry. That, that's really hard. He wiped tears. But I said, here's, here's the thing I want you to know, Ronnie. God's not in a hurry. He's patient. You're just checking this thing out. You're just stepping your big toe in the water. Let's just see what God can do. And uh, let's hang out. Let's get to know each other a little bit better. And by the way, just so you can get closer to this story, Ronnie became a really, really good friend. And a few months later, I had the privilege of baptizing him. And a few months after that, I had the privilege of officiating his wedding. But here's what I want you to understand. There are three verses I want to share with you that I, I want you to lean into that I believe will answer this question for you. Will Jesus bail on me too? Three, any one of these three would do, but I thought it would be nice if we took three shots to the heart on this thing. The first verse is this one out of Hebrews 13.5. God has said, I will never leave you. I will always be by your side. And what that verse is saying, what God is saying is this, I am for you. I will be with you. You will never be alone I'm not going anywhere. Second verse, 2 Timothy 2.13 says this. If you, the verse says, if we are faithless, he is faithful. But I want to say if you, because I want you to personalize it with your own name. If you are faithless, he is faithful. And I know there's some cynics in here. It happens when you go to church too much. The cynics would say this, yeah, Greg, but what if? What if I fail and fall and I drop the ball and I turn and walk away? What does God do and say on that day? First of all, I want to tell you something. The question should not be, what if I sin? The question or the statement should be, when I sin. Because on this side of the grave, that will be an ongoing battle. There will be times when you take three great steps. There will be times when you take two more steps and then fall four back. That's how it works. For long, as long as we are on this planet, the question should be, when I do sin, what then? Does he give up on us then? And the answer is no. You can take his word on that. I would love to say right now, I want you to do this mentally. If you don't want to do it, take inhale through your nose and taking a deep breath. And then exhale slowly. And then quiet your soul for just a moment. Be still. 
and lean in to hear him. And what you will hear God say is this, I'm still here. I'm still here for you. Then the third verse comes from Philippians 1. God began doing a good work in you, and he will continue it until it is finished. When Jesus Christ comes again, I am sure of that. The day you place your faith in Christ, a foundation is laid for a new life and a fresh start. And at that moment, God begins doing a work in you, and he will keep at it till it's completed, which means he's in it for the long haul. Another version says Philippians 1 this way. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that, God, that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish. Now, some of us, for whatever reasons, and the reasons could be many, doubt. We doubt God because we doubt ourselves. We have wounds, we have scars, we've blown it, we've failed, we have regrets, we have relational issues. And people have bailed on us. And we wonder if somewhere in this contractual agreement between God and us, somewhere in that, we wonder if God left a little small, that little space and small print where God gives himself an escape clause. A kind of get out of jail for free card where it enables Jesus to say, I'm dropping this bum. I went to the cross and this guy can't do devotions? You gotta be kidding me. And some of us have that feeling uh, that there's, there's this three strikes and you're out. And I wanna, I wanna share with you that I think part of the problem is the reason that we doubt God and we doubt ourselves is because we've taken our eyes off the gift. We've taken our eyes off the gift. And what is the gift? The gift I'm talking about is the what God in Christ has done for us gift. I'm talking about the very heart of the gospel that through grace, God commits himself to us permanently. When we trust Christ and we run into his arms, he will never let us go. You can push all you want. He's not going to back up. He's not going to bail out. Most of us, if not almost all of us, have experienced the pain of what we would call conditional affection. And if we're honest, chances are we've extended that pain to others as well. They didn't measure up, and we turned and walked away. That's not even in God's, that's not even possible. It's not in his framework. It's not part of his heart. God's love is unconditional and relentless, and he never stops pursuing us. Now, we're going to stop there. That would, that's the introduction. And now, you ever, you ever been in a hurry, and then you, you, you're taking that curve, and you're realizing it's, it's a hard right? Yeah, well, we're going to be, that's what we're going to be doing right now. I'm going to finish with four or five pieces here. I'm going to finish with a story and a verse a succinct definition that gets to the very heart of the gospel, 
a short postscript and a statement. Um, first, a story. Uh, one of my favorite authors, if you've ever wanted a good book that talks about the unconditional grace of God, grab any book by uh, Brendan Manning. It's one of my favorite. And Brendan Manning uh, was a guy who had a lot of pain growing up uh, from his parents. He had all kinds of heartbreak issues, uh, but he wanted his life to count, and he wanted to believe in a, a, a living God, so he became a Catholic priest, all right? And that wasn't doing it for him. He wasn't feeling it. And so one time, he was stuck. He was emotionally struggling. He didn't know what to do. So he set himself apart for a, for a period of time. And he just prayed and prayed. I want to read you what he wrote. He said, I had this amazing experience. For three hours, I, find, I found myself in terra incognita, which is basically the very heart of Jesus, where the place of unconditional love. As a little kid, I was often told that big boys don't cry. But here I was, a man sobbing uncontrollably. And it's here where apparently he has this salvation experience and he understands grace for the first time. And he says, it seemed the only response I could make to so great a gift that Jesus had died on the cross for me and then called me by name. That I was battered by wave after wave of a theology of delight. That God not only loves me, but he also likes me. He goes, I was looking for more, but I didn't find the more. The more found me. And he said, I came to the realization that Christianity was not some moral code. It was a love affair. And I had just experienced it firsthand. And then he says, after that day, nothing has ever been the same. And he said, I wasn't familiar with the verse then, but it is the one I would claim and seek to live by the rest of my life. And it's this verse. There is only Christ and he is everything. That's a great verse. And I want to read you this quote, a definition on the very heart of the gospel message, the truth of the gospel message. And I've been wrestling with this thing for four or five weeks. It's so profoundly touched me. You can watch it on the screen. This, he said, here's the truth of the gospel, that in the end, my sin will never outweigh God's love. That the prodigal can never outrun the father. That I am not measured by the good I do, but by the grace I accept. That being lost is a prerequisite to being found. Here's a profound one. That living a life of faith is not lived in the light, it is discovered in the dark. That not being a saint here on earth will not necessarily keep you from being in that number when the march begins. That is a quote you can bank on. It's a great quote. And I'm banking on it. And you say, banking on what? I'm banking on the grace of God. Because, folks, that's all we got. Brendan Manning goes on to say, he wrote a book called The Ragged Muffin Gospel, and, and The Ragged Muffin basically is all those people who were left out, who were pushed to the perimeters, who already knew their sin and knew their stuff, and they were owning it. They were broken by their sin. He said, we must realize that each of us has a singular prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Any additional flourishes to make that cry more palatable are pharisaical leaven. And then he gets really honest. And this is going to be hard for some of us who like church and like being good. 
Brennan says, warning, mine has been anything but a straight shot. It's been more like a crooked path filled with thorns and crows and vodka. Prone to wander? You bet. Listen to what he says. I've been a priest, then an ex-priest. A husband, then an ex-husband. Amazed the crowds one night and lied to my friends the next. Drunk for years, sober for a season, then drunk again. I've been John the Beloved, Peter the Coward, Thomas the Doubter, all before the waitress brought the check. I've shattered every one of the Ten Commandments six times Tuesday. And if you believe that last statement was for dramatic effect, it was not. Brendan Manning died writing his last book. He died of wet brain, long-term alcoholic. And if you're there saying, oh, that's too bad, don't look in the mirror this week. Because we all got stuff. And here's what I want you to know, okay? Don't miss this. This is, this is the same guy who had this incredible, life-changing experience with the living God who ends up dying far too soon because he couldn't be an addiction. And this is, this is the part you won't like, maybe. But if grace doesn't work for Brennan, it doesn't work for any of us. And add to that, the grace of God, if it doesn't embrace us here in the glory hour and here in the gutter, it's not grace. If it doesn't save us in the spectrum, there's no, there's no grace. I don't want to sound mad. If I sound mad, I apologize. The gospel is a gospel, is a work of grace. It is God's grace. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. It is the gift of God, not by works. Again, you can't do anything with it. It stands alone. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. And don't miss this. Once you have it, you cannot lose it. And it cannot be taken from you. It says, if you are faithless, he is faithful. And that means, count on it, he's got you, and it's a done deal. Amen.